You're listening to the latest message from Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas, where we don't care about your past, but care about your future. Now join us in opening up the God's Word as we listen to Pastor Caleb Higgins. A lot of information in John uh, to get through, and when I originally kind of looked at it and planned it out, there's only 21 chapters, and I was thinking 21 weeks, but you can't really cover a full chapter in, in one night. Um, so tonight we're going to look at what's called the third sign, and even in some of your Bibles you might have the little title above it. It says the third sign, and it's a, a healing that happens in a pool outside, of, um, outside the Temple Mount area. And we're going to kind of take this a little bit verse by verse instead of reading the whole thing in order. We'll, we'll go through um, a little bit at a time. So it says, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now the book of John, he has really, he, he's always shown what festivals are taking place. He always labels it, whether it's a Passover, whether, uh, whether it's a, the Feast of Tabernacles. He always labels it, except for right here. We have no idea what this festival was that was taking place in Jerusalem. But if we remember where we were last week, Jesus was down at Cana. And then so he was going up to Jerusalem for this festival. And um, so that travel time probably could have been a few days, could have been a week, um, could have been a month. But John, the way he lays out his book, it's, it's one after the other. He's just right to the point. He goes, after this, after this, you know, then... So we can't think, take about time in, in John's gospel as like immediate. Um, it could have been a little bit of time in between Cana and this, this time period. And that's important to say that because the more time that's in between an event, the more word gets out about who Jesus is. Okay? And that's kind of important to know considering the last part of this passage. <clears throat> so after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Basada in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, <clears throat> this uh, this pool, Bethesda. I want to show you some pictures and where it's at, and and why this. You'll kind of understand a little bit later. Um, but the first picture we have, you can see Bethesda on the far corner over there. But then there's the Temple Mount. <clears throat> it is a little bit north of the Temple Mount, not very far, but it's it's right there. Um, go to the next one. Now, this is what it looked like. There's a northern pool and a southern pool. 
and they're kind of staggered a little bit. And the colonnade um, that it's talking about is all those that's around there. It's a Roman architecture. Um, so it was influenced by the, the Romans. And this pool was uh, spring-fed, intermittent spring-fed is what they are, they're saying it is. Because there's an important part in, um, in this passage where the lame would, and disabled, if you had any ailments, you would be hanging out around there because they thought that when this pool started to bubble, that angels were stirring up the water. Um, and in some versions of the Bible, it has verse 4 in it, which says angels, they, they thought that angels were stirring up the water, and the first one that got in got healed of their element, uh, ailments. And then there's some versions of the Bible that leave that verse out. That's important to note because depending on which version you have is what manuscripts that the translators use to copy over. The earliest manuscripts um, that they had do not have that verse listed, but some of the later ones do. And some of those later ones, they think that it was um, kind of written in there by some copywriters just to, just to give a little history of why this was happening. So it's not really considered scripture in the way that um, theologians and Bible translators think about it. And that's a whole nother sermon on its own of how we got the Bible, and it's really neat to, to figure that out. But this spring-fed pool would uh, bubble up every now and then. And when it happened, they thought that angels were, were stirring it. And the first one that jumped in was the one that got cured of their ailments. Now, they also think that this pool was red in color, that the water was red in color, and the minerals that it had were healing elements in it. So... A lot of the people that were disabled um, were right there, and it's right outside of the Temple Mount, right outside of it. And now where we come to this portion um, of Jesus' miracle, verse number five. Oh, there, I had one more picture, sorry. This is what it looks like today, um, right there. And that's the southeast corner of the pool. They built a church on top of it. Um, and then this is what was excavated out, and I think they're doing some more excavations of it. So archaeology is a big, important thing to, to certify that the Scriptures are, are real. I mean, it, there it is. There's, there's the pool um, that we're talking about. So, verse 5. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. 
Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me to pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then go on. But he answered to him, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus is coming to whatever festival this is, and he's walking through this pool area. There are countless of people surrounding the area that is lame and disabled. And Jesus is just walking, being there with the people. And he picks out this one man. He picks out this one man. Why do you think that he he just picks this one guy out of the many that are there? Couldn't make it to the pool fast enough. He knew the man's heart. What was that? He knew the man's heart. He knew the man's heart. I think was a bigger reason why he chose this man. And it kind of correlates to the guy talking to the Jews about it. Jesus wanted to show multiple reasons why he chose this guy. And Jesus is all-knowing, and he knew exactly what was going to happen, and so he picked this man out of the crowd. This was a real healing that Jesus did. You've heard of some pastors um, doing these miracle healings today. They have crusades all over the world. Uh, One of them is by the name of Benny Hinn, uh, if you've heard of him. They're false healings. And one of the reasons we know they're false healings is um, a guy that I follow, and I I knew him in seminary, his name is Justin Peters. He has a a discernment ministry, and he has cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy um, which he's bound to a wheelchair or on crutches. And he has been trying to go to these Benny Hinn crusades all of his life to get healed. And every time that he went to these crusades, they would put him and all the other people that wanted to be healed that are in wheelchairs and stuff like that in the back. They would put them in the back where nobody could see them. And they would choose the ones from the front to come up on stage and to perform. Benny Hinn's nephew, his name is Costi Hinn, is a strong evangelical Christian now. He was one of Benny Hinn's right-hand men. He was up on stage with him. He was one of the 
guys that caught the people when they fell down, and he has came out and said, my uncle is a liar. We had planned everything out. I mean, he was, he was big into this ministry. He traveled around with them. You know, he was one of the guys that caught, caught people. They would bring their own people to get healed. If you watch some of these healing videos on YouTube, you'll see some of the same ones get healed over and over. <clears throat> so a lot of these healing crusades that we see in the world right now are false. And yes, they're falsified, they're fake, and some of them actually might have some demonic influence on them. I read something today. I thought it was kind of neat. It said, if you look at these name-it-claim-it type of ministries, they're promising the same thing that Satan promised Jesus in the wilderness. That's kind of... Neat to think about. But this was a true healing that Jesus did to this guy. And, and how do we know that it was true? John writes that this guy's been lame for 38 years. How old was Jesus when he died on the cross? 33, 32. And, and how long was his ministry on earth? Three years. Three years. So that means this guy, if it was a fake healing, this guy had to have planned out this whole deal six to eight years before Jesus was born. I mean, come on. There was a reason John put it. He was there for 38 years. Jesus picked him out. He saw him laying there and needing help. And then Jesus asks a question. He says, Sir, do you want to be healed? What do you think that guy was thinking when Jesus asked that? Duh! <laughs> Yo, I'm right here! <laughs> Why are you really asking me that? But Jesus asked a pointed question to him. Do you want to be healed? And this guy responds back, yeah, I want to be healed, but I have nobody to carry me and help me down to the waters. Imagine, and we have no idea, so I'm, I'm just thinking this up. But imagine that this guy, for 30 or so years of his life, had been lame. Probably paralyzed is what it was. He's probably paralyzed. And his parents probably had been carrying him daily to this water. And then, you know, waiting for this chance of the bubbling to occur to get him in there to be healed. But yet, he never was able to get in there. So daily they would take him back until there was a time where they couldn't do that anymore. And maybe, you know, a friend was helping him for a while, 
Um, and, and then Atrus couldn't do it. So he was he was crushed. He had no hope. He was thinking that there was no hope to get down to this water. And then Jesus goes, get up and pick up your mat and walk. And what did the guy do? He took him at his word and he stood up. I don't know how quick that was, if he stumbled, but we, we see that he didn't really have much hesitation about it because he believed. And he got up. He believed that. He got up, was able to pick up his mat, and he started to go. Instantly, the man got well. He picked up his mat and started to walk. Now, it was the day of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day where you were supposed to rest, correct? In the Old Testament, when God gave Moses the tablets and he said, you shall not do any work on the Sabbath, you shall keep it holy, what it was truly meaning at that time was you're supposed to take a break from your normal job. It says later on in Mark, it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it was supposed to be a day off of your normal work. Because how, how many of you have worked seven days a week for a whole month? You kind of get tired. You get wore out. So God created this day, the Sabbath, to have a day of rest and recharge and to focus on Him and to worship Him. God created the, day, uh, God created the earth in how many days? Six days, and then on the seventh, He did what? Did God need to rest? No. God was showing us that we need to rest. God doesn't need to rest. He can do whatever he wants to. He's continually at work. So over time, from when Moses got to Ten Commandments until Jesus' day right here, laws had started to be interpreted in different ways. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar in America? Laws are being interpreted in ways they weren't meant to be interpreted. So over time, oral tradition started to happen. Oral tradition means it's passed down from one to another, and things started to get muddy and murky within that. So the Pharisees and Sadducees and all them, they, they started to uh, say that with the Sabbath, you can't do any work at all, even picking up a stick and carrying it from one place to another. This is how hypocritical it was, because and, and legalistic. If they weren't supposed to do any of that, why were these Jews that were talking to this man even around? Because they even had a certain radius 
around their home that they could maybe even go 500 feet, and if they went 501 feet, they'd be breaking the Sabbath. So why were even some of these guys around? They, weren't they breaking the Sabbath? Weren't they working on that day? They were very legalistic. And legalism can be very harmful to religion as a whole, and even in churches. Example, I was a youth minister in South Carolina. And one of our, at that church, I had a lock-in. And during that lock-in, we played Nerf Battle, and we played it in the sanctuary. Now, I did have some rules where they couldn't run up on stage, be around, do some of that stuff. But, you know, the pews and and things, that, that was fair game that they could use those as blocks. You know, you couldn't get on top of them and run around, stuff like that. But when I got done with that lock-in, the very next day, that Sunday morning, a parent came to me. And they were griping me out because I played Nerf battle in the church sanctuary. We cleaned up after ourselves. Luckily, nothing was broken. I, I, I even asked the pastor, I said, is it okay if we do this? He was on board with it. But this parent was so legalistic that they said this sanctuary is a holy place. We should show more respect and teach our kids more respect that this is a holy place. I'm thinking, this is a hundred-year-old building is what it is with red carpet. So the hundred-year-old building with red carpet. God doesn't dwell here. There are no tabernacles here. You know, he, he doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He left that building, the tabernacle, where he was at, and now we are, bodies are the tabernacle. That's where God dwells. Is it, should we show respect in a sanctuary? Sure, yes, we should show respect especially when we come to worship God. But it's really nothing more than concrete and metal and wood. That's all it is. But legalism creeps in to where we just put up these boundaries to... to, We put up more walls that can harm people from even hearing the gospel. And that's what our lock-in was about. Our lock-in, that, that year was the underground church. And what we did was show the kids what people in China and these closed countries had to deal with. And where we have the freedom to come to church, where they didn't. But with legalism, we, we put up walls. I said, okay, thank you. (laughs) You But that's exactly what these Jews were doing to this man. So it was on the Sabbath. 
And the Jews said to the man that had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. A mat that was probably just like a bundle of sticks that he could have, maybe that thick, that he could have rolled up and carried in one arm. Some of you ladies have purses that are heavier than that mat was. These Jews that were confronting this man cared more about the law than they did the man. They probably knew exactly who this man was, that he's been crippled for 38 years, and all of a sudden he's walking. Shouldn't they be celebrating a healing had happened, a miracle had happened? What were they doing? Condemning him. You're breaking the law. So they cared more about their laws than they did even the man. And so this man replied, Well, the man who made me well told me to pick up your mat and walk. So he starts to question, Who was this man that told you to pick up your mat and walk? They already had an idea of who it was. They were just wanting confirmation of who it was. So this guy was looking around, and he's like, well, I didn't get his name. You know, I was just so excited I could walk. You know, I didn't ask for his phone number. You know, or who he was. It just, I started dancing, you know. And, and so he started to look around and says, Jesus slipped away. Here's what I think what happened. There have been times, and it could have been, let me, let me preface this. With Jesus slipping away, there could have been a lot of people around and he just got through and the guy couldn't see him anymore. But there have been times when Jesus was pressured to about the death where he vanished and appeared somewhere else. He walked through some walls after his death in a locked room. So my mind starts to thinking, he slipped away. How did he slip away? Who knows, man? He, either he scurried on through, he did, his, he did his job there, wanted to make a point, went on to the, the temple, or he even did a miracle in himself and went away. <clears throat> so later... After Jesus had slipped away through the crowd, Jesus found him in the temple. Isn't it interesting? The man got healed, and the first place he went to was the temple. Sounds like he was converted, wasn't it? Not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus found him in the temple. And Jesus says, see, I see that you're well. Don't sin anymore. So something worse doesn't happen to you. This is kind of alluding to maybe something in his life that he had sinned before caused this paralysis. Possible, we don't know. But we also do know that we have consequences for our sins and our actions. And... 
this could have been it. It might not have been. But Jesus said that anyways. The man then went and reported to those who had been questioning him, it's Jesus that made me well. And therefore the Jews, listen to this, began persecuting Jesus. They had already been persecuting Jesus. That, that verb is, is action. It's been happening. It didn't just begin then at that moment. It has been happening. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Then what does Jesus say in verse 17? But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. This is big. And this is big in the eyes of the Pharisees that he was talking to, or the Jews, the religious leaders, whoever they were, that he was talking to. Because this, there was no law in the Jewish time that God couldn't be working on the Sabbath, but man couldn't be working on the Sabbath. He says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. What did Jesus just do right there? He equated himself with God. Woo! What did those religious leaders think at that moment? They did not like it. Not like it at all because they knew it was blasphemy that a human being could not be God. This is not possible. Not only were you working on the Sabbath and you are now equating yourself with God. Verse 18, For this reason, therefore, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Look at that. They were seeking all the more it means they were already planning on trying to do something to Jesus because they had been hearing this stuff going happening. The woman at the well, Nicodemus probably said something, his, his life changed, and now they don't have a huge religious leader anymore. I mean, they, there was the, the stuff at Cana with the, the water and the wine. All the more they were trying to kill him. Because he was not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So they started planning this out. They started getting angry. And so, the reason I think that Jesus chose this paralyzed guy was because he knew that he, he, he was starting to, Jesus was starting to set a plan, in, the ultimate plan, into motion. He knew that this man was going to be confronted by the Jews and that the Jews were going to be questioning who it was. And then Jesus was going to be able to answer them and show them their own hypocritical ways 
make them upset so they can start getting the show on the road of why Jesus came. The ultimate reason Jesus came was to die. And his own people started to plan to kill him. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. There's a day, there's a Sunday we always celebrate right before Easter. The, the, The Sunday before Easter. What is that called? You know? Palm Sunday. What happened on Palm Sunday? They celebrated Jesus coming in on a donkey. They were throwing down their cloaks. They were throwing down palm branches, everything. They celebrated that Jesus was coming in. Between that Sunday and that Thursday, people who celebrated ended up doing what? Man, we want a criminal released instead of Jesus. And then when Jesus was walking down the Via de la Rosa with the cross on him to his death, they were spitting upon him. So his own people went from celebrating him to spitting on him within a matter of days. These Jews, these religious leaders, went from questioning who this guy was and hoping to look for the Messiah to when the Messiah showed up, instead of celebrating, they were plotting to kill. Jesus has a plan. God has a plan for all of us. We may not know what it is. But see, Jesus knows exactly what it is and how it's going to happen. What do you think those other people at Bethsaida that were not healed, what were they thinking about this guy? Some of them might have been glad that, I mean, he's been there for 38 years and glad that he finally got a chance to be healed. But selfishly, there was probably a lot of jealousy involved too. And been like, God, why didn't you do that for me? Why why couldn't I have been the one to be healed? Sometimes in our lives, when we see some things happen to some individuals, a blessing that God has given to certain individuals, that mind starts to think, God, why couldn't I get that blessing? Well, God was working in a different way that we didn't think about. But God does have a plan for you as well. And it might not have been the healing. This guy happened, his, his path actually was the healing. But God does have a plan. We need to trust that. We need to believe that. In our lives, stuff happens. We need to believe that God's plan 
is not our plan, and that he ultimately knows what he's doing. We need to believe that. All right, that was exactly nothing what was on my notes. But uh, I, told, I told Bud earlier, I said, Bud, you can, you, you can preach for me. I have it all written down, but you would have heard something totally different. <laughs> but um, believe. God has a plan, and it might not be what we think it is. But there's a reason behind it. All right, we'll pray, and we will be dismissed. God, we, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom and your, your knowledge. And, um, and Lord, we just ask that we will believe that you have a plan for us, even though we might not see what it is, but we know that you know exactly the steps that we should take. I ask, Lord, that uh, this week that we will just be encouraged that uh, knowing that, that you hold us in your, your hands. And Lord, that no matter what happens, that we can always just lean on you and have that rest of knowing that you... You have this. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great week. We thank you for listening to Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We are located on Highway 259, just south of the four-way in Omaha. You may also find us on Facebook or the web at barnonecowboyministries.com, a place where we don't care about your past, but care about your future.